Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, hello, and welcome to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. I'm your host, Nick Berlansky, joined as always by Nick Horwat, and thankfully, Horwat, the All-Star Weekend has come to a close, and Penguins-specific hockey is on the horizon, of course, with their game on Tuesday against the Colorado Avalanche. We will talk about that a little bit later in the show. We will talk about Ron Hextall's press conference, which had everybody a little bit worried on Sunday afternoon. We're going to talk about the practice that was on Sunday, some of the line changes that we got. But we have to mention the All-Star game right off the bat. Horwat, I think saying it didn't go well would be the nicest possible way of me putting this, right? Oh, it would be. It would be. And I think a lot of that is centered around the skills competition part of it because, yeah. I mean, did anyone watch the actual All-Star game? Didn't. I mean, I had to. <laughs> thank, thank, honestly, thankfully, the Metropolitan Division uh, had some had a cool had a couple cool moments with Crosby and Ovechkin and then bowed out. Thankfully, I didn't have to continue watching for another uh, couple of hours. It's it felt. Um, and honestly, the, yeah, the whole All-Star game was, I mean, that's fine. It was as fine as it was going to be. It was cool. Like I said, we got the cool moments from the, the Chuck brothers, Crosby and Ovechkin. A uh, couple of hat tricks here and there. What did you expect? It looked like Sorokin, by the way, was going hard. That was kind of fun. It's cool <laughs> seeing a goalie actually care about it. I mean, Jari did what was that, in 2020 in St. Louis? Yeah. Yeah. I don't remember it, though. But, um, but then there was the skills competition, and that is... Like we said before, uh, usually the more entertaining portion of the two days uh, across all sports, somehow this one wasn't. Somehow. Uh, even the cool events that you know, are, that you're know are there for usually, the hardest shot, the fastest skater, uh, accuracy shooting, duds. Mm-hmm. Duds. Thankfully, leave it up to Sarah Nurse's goal and then Crosby and Ovechkin and uh, Sergei Ovechkin stealing the show. Mm-hmm. That's all they had to do, and thankfully they did that. I'll throw McDavid in there as well for the 4-for-4 four four performance on the accuracy shooting, but at the same time, that was in the first round. Why Why are we Why are we doing rounds? I understand it, but like I, I, I agree with you. The skills competition was not good. I mean, the pacing was horrendous, and that's the worst part, is this is something that how did you not expect people to be disinterested in a commercial-packed, 
poorly paced performance where you're not even finishing these competitions at once. You're saying, hey, stick around because we're going to finish this off in about three hours. Nobody wanted to sit through all of that. And yes, Sarah, Sarah Nurse stole the show, in my opinion. The Crosby and Ovi thing, you know, it was nice. It was a nice moment. I'm sure Alex and his wife are so happy they have that moment. And it was cool. But when you hear Sid and Ovi are going to be, you know, doing something together, you kind of wish for a little bit more. And, and that's how I felt about the entire weekend. I mean, you have some of the most talented individuals on this planet all on the same sheet of ice, and you just you really don't take advantage of it. I get nobody wants to get hurt. I understand that. It's the middle of the season. A lot of these guys are trying to compete for the postseason. A lot of these guys are trying to compete for a Stanley Cup in a couple months, but there's ways to do it where you're not endangering them from injury, but also providing some entertainment. And it's something that the NHL struggles with constantly, so I'm not going to harp on it. You mentioned... I don't know how many people watched the actual All-Star game, the 3v3 tournament. I didn't. I watched it on YouTube the next morning in like 10 minutes. Um, saw what I needed to see and said, all right, that's cool. Uh, picked the pictures from it. I'm a big sports photography, like in, enjoying sports photography guy. I love the picture of Sid and Ovi. And if you're on our Twitter page, that was the cover photo for this episode. But at the end of the day... It is what it is. It's the all-star game. It's never going to be fixed because I don't trust the NHL to fix it. And next year, it's in Toronto, so even less stars are going to want to actually show up whenever it's early February in the six. I also don't understand what the league is trying to do with the all-star game anymore and putting it in a city like Toronto. Are you attempting to grow the game still? Because, you know, putting it in Florida makes sense to try and grow the game. Nashville, eh, they're there, but trying to grow the game and less popular hockey markets you're not growing a thing in toronto no that is the hockey mecca if you will i don't know i, I don't understand what they're doing with city selection um and with the crosby and everything yeah i totally expected more but thankfully it was still something positive it was cute um i felt like i had another note uh that i'm forgetting that oh and the splash contest again needs no needs no discussion um good on sid for uh being peak Sidney Crosby though, and looking for a redo and some sort of call out of his, uh, out of him and McKinnon not winning. That's mm -hmm. hilarious. That's that is him. Um, but overall, I mean, yeah, I didn't care for it. It had its moments, but I, ugh, ugh. <laughs> yeah, uh, that, that's a pretty good summation of the entire weekend. It was, uh, yeah, no, well, yeah, yeah, it was there. It happened. <laughs> it happened. It's over. I'm sure I'm sure they had. I'm sure the players had a little bit of fun. I'm sure they had fun, there. but none of that was on camera. Yeah, um, yeah. I thought I had another note, but it's escaping me. And clearly, it didn't matter that much. It was the All Star Weekend. Yeah, and yeah, yeah. Exactly. It was also in Florida, and they did that pan at the beginning of the skills competition. I don't know if I just missed it, but I, the, whenever I started noticing, I went, "Oh, there's nobody there. No, like, there's not a crowd, and there's nobody in the seats. Mm -mm. That's good. That's real good." Are you happy, Gary? Are you happy? Gary is what Gary is, and I don't know what Gary's happy about at this moment in time. Uh, there's a lot of things in the NHL that need fixed. The All-Star game is low on that list, but certainly on the list, uh, to say the least. But let's get back to some Penguins hockey. Uh, nice little bow placed on the All-Star weekend. We won't talk about it till next February, but um, Ron Hextall kind of lit the internet on fire when, of course, everybody announced that he was going to be speaking to the media yesterday around 3.30 
half hour before a very late practice for the Pittsburgh Penguins on Sunday. He spoke for about 10 minutes on Sunday, addressing the current state of the team, taking questions about his thoughts, his plans. The freakout was hilarious um, to me because I think what you need to understand is you're going to get four guaranteed press conferences from any NHL general manager, even a guy like Ron Hextall, who prefers to not actually talk to the media. And we haven't heard from him since training camp. That's one of the days. You're going to hear from him at least once in training camp. You're going to hear from them on free agency day after all the moves have been made. You're going to hear from them on trade deadline day after the deadline, after any moves if they make them. And you're going to hear them after the season. Their thoughts, what they're thinking going into the offseason. Those are the four guaranteed times. This is the next most likely spot you're going to hear a general manager speak. Because this is the, the true reset for NHL teams. The Christmas break... Nobody really talks because everybody's enjoying time with their family. This is the break that, hey, everybody had about 10 days off. You had your bye week as well. Now you're coming out of it. You got a month to go until the trade deadline. The GM has to speak on a few things. That's when it comes out. But there were some things in here that caught my attention. Most of it was GM speak. Most of it was, you know, the, the standard is the standard kind of crap that you get from Mike Tomlin. It was taken right out of the NHL media guide, basically for Ron Hextall, but a few things caught my attention and we'll get to some things that caught your attention as well, Horwat, as you were in the building. The one that I think most people reacted to was his answer regarding his plans with the first round pick. I think there was a little bit of misinformation by omission on his answer about the first round pick. We have the answer here. We'll, we'll play it for you in a second, courtesy of the Pittsburgh Penguins website. But I do believe you really need to listen to the fact that he says, because trading the first round pick because of clearing cap space alone not in general but because of cap space here's ron hextall and here's what he had to say on that a first round pick yeah first round pick or equivalent yeah i would i would say that's not on the table um i haven't been asked for that certainly uh conversations i think are starting to pick up with with a lot of guys but there's not like a lot of guys that are People are kind of looking to see what's out there, kind of grabbing the group. Okay, we'd be interested in this or this on both sides, whether you're a buyer or a seller. But there's not a lot of teams, obviously. We saw the big the big one the other day with the Islanders. But there's not a lot of teams right now that are, are looking to jump and kind of getting down to the fine strokes here. Um, but certainly the talk is picking up. But in terms of first-round picks for getting salary out, I don't see that as being an option for us. When you hear that answer, obviously he's discussing trading a first-round pick to help offload maybe a Kasperi Kapanen, maybe a Jeff Carter, maybe a Brian Dumoulin. He's saying he's not willing to throw away a first-round pick in order to just get rid of some of these guys. And to that point, I agree. Yeah, it's it, it was an awkward little <clears throat> uh, back and forth between... Uh, uh, the person asking the question and then the answer because obviously the question was are you looking to it was a set he was i'm pretty sure he was trying to boil it down to are you looking to trade a first round pick and i think that's what he was trying to get out of it but also decided to throw in the would you do it to relieve cap space because mm -hmm. i forget if it was earlier uh in the presser or after like you're gonna talk about it eventually anyway <laughs> uh where Hextall mentions whenever he came in, he wanted to always have the mm -hmm. two million dollar uh, gap mm -hmm. that he, that he could work with, kind of. And that, I, I, whenever he said that, I remembered, oh yeah, he wanted that. 
and then never got it because COVID reasons, cap reasons, hockey reasons. Um, so I, if that was part of it, maybe obviously Hextall doesn't want to move out the first round pick for cap reasons, which makes sense, I guess. Uh, yeah, if you're going to move out your first round pick, you want a legitimate return. Not yeah. that you know, cap relief isn't a legitimate return, but you want something substantial. You want something you can put on the ice right now because your first round pick is someone who's not going to be on the ice right now. Sure. Depending on the player. Um, but it is at least a useful piece and a useful cog to have down the line, i.e. Owen Pickering from last season. I think last year we were perfectly fine with not giving, with not getting rid of the first round pick, uh, you know, and then we ended up getting a good piece out of it. But this year, we see where the team is, and it wouldn't be a panic move to move out the first-round pick, but it is definitely something that should be on the table. And I think my thought of it is because the question was worded awkwardly and then the answer was kind of worded awkwardly, uh, not you sh- not the whole answer should, whole question and answer should be ignored, mm-hmm. but it should almost be thrown out the window because it was a... People want to know if you're trading the first-round pick. That's all they want to know. They're not worried about cap situations. They're not worried about consistency issues. They want to know if you're trading the first-round pick. And we really didn't learn that. Mm-hmm. That's kind of my. That was kind of my thought process on it. Yeah, no, ex- you're exactly right. What he answered was, would you move the first-round pick just to get cal- salary cap space? Which means, would you use it to help aid the departure of a guy that has a, a big salary cap, even Brock McGinn, uh, Kasperi Kappen, and guys like that get thrown into the mix there. And he said no, and again, like, I understand where he's coming from. Like, that is a valuable asset. If you're going to use it, you got to use it to bring somebody in. I mean, we saw the Islanders, as he mentioned at one point in his press conference, use it to bring in Bo Horvat along with an NHL player and a, a mid-to-top-level prospect. So, Yes, I agree with him there, but I thought there was a little misinformation of people thinking that he's just taking it off the table entirely, which we understand he doesn't like trading first-round picks. He hasn't traded one since he became the Penguins general manager. It's a far cry from Jim Rutherford. We've said it so many times, but he's not saying here that he's not willing to trade it at all, and it's off the table, which I I talked about it on on Penguins to go a couple weeks ago. It 100% should be on the table. Uh, Because if you can get the opportunity to really significantly help this team for that first-round pick, you take it right now. Ten times out of ten, that's the deal. But I wouldn't trade it just simply to get rid of cap space because then you're one major asset down trying to acquire another bigger asset. and It just makes it much more difficult for him. But uh, we don't need to keep harping on that. The other thing that I noticed is that he tried to stay as cordial as possible uh, when discussing the Pittsburgh Penguins' bottom six. If you substitute, and I know that, listen, this is putting words in his mouth. I don't want to do that. But in my mind, I substituted the word chemistry for performance in this next clip. Might not be what he was thinking, but it's how I was taking it. Listen to this and keep that in mind. The chemistry there hasn't been kind of like we had hoped um, it would be. Um, there's times I think where we've had some chemistry down there, but I think over the course of the year, the chemistry hasn't been that great. And chemistry is a tough thing to define when you're talking about a line or a hockey team or um, a defense or a forward group. Uh, but you can kind of feel it and see it when it's there. And I think uh, that's somewhere where we can look to hopefully improve. You understand that he's not going to slander his team. No, he's Mike never Sullivan said that before this year, too, that he's not going to get behind a microphone and say anything bad about their team unless it's ne- necessary. And there are obvious 
things for it. You know, in this case, you could say there are, but it's not. It's not clear. Obviously, you know, it's not one of those things that they're just going to come out and say it. Yeah, both both uh, Hextall and Sullivan are not going to slander their team. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. And you, we look at that answer, and I substituted the word chemistry for performance, and it tells me exactly how he feels uh, about the bottom six, that they haven't gotten what they wanted from it. They haven't performed to the level that Hextall was hoping they would uh, when he put them all together back in August, back in July, when he, he put them on paper, and that's something else he said. He likes the team on paper, but sometimes when you look at it on the ice, I don't like what I see, um, and, and it's understandable. But I, I thought he was trying to stay as cordial as possible, but to me, there's clearly something nagging at him that's nagging at the rest of everybody else, and that's the bottom six isn't good enough. And I think that that's something that people say, hey, his inaction speaks louder than words, but his words there tell you that, hey, he sees it too, He's not abrupt of the situation. He's aware that the bottom six needs adjusted. Yeah, everyone's aware of this. Mm-hmm. Everyone's aware that the bottom six kind of needs a push. Um, one thing that one of my takeaways is, and I will just kind of jump into it now, is that he, in the first clip you showed, he mentioned that talks have been starting to pick up, and that's good. I don't know what that means, but that just means talks are starting to pick up in some capacity. Uh, but he also said that um, you know, he doesn't want to just make the knee-jerk decision. He doesn't want to make the move to throw somebody out of the window quickly and bring in someone else now. He wants there to be some sort of, uh, he mentions chemistry a lot there. He wants there to be some sort of fit with whatever he brings back. He wants to make sure that the player is going to fit. So he's being cautious as hell about this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's part of it. Um, you know, and when you look at the team on paper, he's totally right. It, it, it is a good team on paper. Absolutely. There are, like, Dan Heinen before this season uh, and before even coming to Pittsburgh had a fairly decent career in the NHL. He had a good bottom six numbers for what it's worth. Kasperi Kapanen is a name. He's, you know, uh, a legacy player. His father played in the NHL, and we know he has speed and skill he can do something in this league it just hasn't been put together this year brian dumoulin we know brian dumoulin at one point could have been considered a top 10 defenseman in franchise history and now we see where he's at on paper this team is solid it's just that something about that bottom six is not putting it together and it's a matter of them putting it together i think it's if a move doesn't get made even though a move should if a move doesn't get made it's just about people waking up yeah, yeah, you you really need that because at the end of the day, you're not going to get six new names down there. It's it, it's that's physically impossible to get six new names down there in the next 28 days. It's 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 impossible. So a lot of these guys are going to be out there, which is another reason that he's not going to slander these guys. Like he's not going to go out there and be like, "Well, you know, Brock McGinn scoring goals but not putting it all together, man." That's <laughs> just that's all I'm going to say. He's not going to do that. Uh yeah. as much as sometimes you'd like him to be like, "Yeah, Boy, did I mess up by signing Kasperi Kapanen to the same number when I probably should have signed him for two. That's what you want him to say. It'd be nice to hear that admittance of guilt, uh, but that's not going to happen. Nobody does that. doesn't matter if you're an NHL general manager or if you're a cashier at a quick fill. Like, you're not going to say, yeah, I I was wrong. Sorry. My bad. Oof. That was was a misstep. So uh, I I do really think that when you look at what Hextall has been saying, a lot of the stuff was GM speak. We, we, we broke down a couple things there. Uh, we're going to end with this because this was genuinely the genuinely, excuse me, the only thing that kind of got under my skin that he answered. Um, and you'll hear why. 
I just feel like when he answered his thoughts on the salary cap, you mentioned it earlier. You know, I, I, I told myself, I, I made a deal with myself to have $2 million for call-ups and this and that. And we understand that, which is why Penguins have been playing leave a penny, take a penny with the LTIR situation, just so they can have enough players to, to ice a team. But here was his reaction about the question on cap space and where he's at right now with it. Well, I had an unwritten rule a few years ago to keep $2 million in cap space just to just to allow call-ups and possible deadline. With the flat cap, quite frankly, it's become much more difficult. Um, do you want to go into the, into the season with a team that you think is a little lesser and go those first two or three months with, you know, maybe one lesser player or a player that's not as good as that one player and all of a sudden it's a tough question to answer. But I think last summer we, we wanted to sign Gino, we wanted to sign Tanger and we knew it was going to cost us. So we obviously stretched him out as we've, as we've talked about. But if you're asking me if I'd rather have one less of our top players and, and uh, have a couple million dollars, I would say the answer is no. Evgeny Malkin is the team's second line center. Chris Letang is the team's Number one defenseman. Why were those the names that came out of your mouth, Ron? Like, when you're talking about the salary cap, I get it. It was the big names of the offseason. It was the number one thing on your to-do list. It was told to you to be the number one thing on your to-do list. But why are you bringing them up when it comes to, yeah, I would have liked to have the $2 million in cap space. But, you know, we know we wanted to sign Gino. We know we wanted to sign Latang. They both took pay cuts to stay in Pittsburgh. If you look at Dom LeCision's player cards, him and Shayna Goldman, they're very much playing under what they should be being paid. That, to me, was the biggest misstep by Hextel. It was late in the press conference, so he might have been like, I'm running out of colloquialisms right now. Uh, but I was like, why would you bring that up when there are contracts on your on your, your resume, like Kapanen, Ruta, McGinn, Carter, Bluger? There's plenty of names to say. You said the two guys that, yes, Latang was bad to start the season. Of course, everything that happened in the middle of the season, he's still your number one defenseman. You wouldn't have gotten a guy that would be in that role for that money. Same thing goes with Malkin. Why on earth are those the two names that you wanted to bring up in that situation when you didn't have to bring them up at all? Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know. I think... Yeah, I mean, that, that bothered me. A little bit, like, not enough that I'm going to sit there and be like, you know what, that pissed me off. But it bothered me, and I was like, why why bring it up? Why do that, Hexall? You're so measured in everything you've said. That, to me, was the only misstep that he had, and I was like, that's a stupid misstep to make. Yeah, I, I mean, I don't really have even... I'm really not even able to come up with a rebuttal for it. It's just um, part of his gig, I guess. It's It was one of the bigger storylines heading into you know all, all, all of last offseason. We know that. Um, but he got them back for a good number and yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I'd have to, that's something I would have to be followed up on, I guess, and looked into a little deeper, but yeah, um, that's a tough one. It is those, uh, it, his cap situation, his unwritten rule of $2 million, um, obviously got screwed over by a couple of different things, but you know, I, at this point, I don't think we don't think either that, uh, Malkin and Latang's salaries are part of that, part of that two million dollar gap. I mean, no, it could be the, I mean, it's it was two years, but it could just be how bad the Jeff Carter contract looks right now, how unwell the Kasperi Kapanen contract looks at the moment. 
if you really wanted to, how about the Dan? How about all? How, if you want to keep referencing those player cards, how many players are playing under their value? Seven. Last time I checked. Which and who was the one that was league mint? Teddy Bluger. Uh, Brian Dumoulin. Brian Dumoulin. Was well, I believe Teddy Bluger was league mint too. Yeah, that's. There were several players that were league mint that were getting paid over a million dollars. Yeah, those are the tough ones. So, yeah, I mean. Teddy Bluger being at league men hurts the most, I think, because of what we know he was and could have been. But, oh well. <laughs> uh, that's the thing. And we'll close this discussion. We'll move on. We'll talk about injury updates in the second segment. We'll talk about line shifting in the second segment. It's going to be a fun discussion. Stick around for that. But to close this one out, the reason that I was like, why are you talking is because there's so many different places. You just mentioned it. There's so many different places that you could go with that conversation. That, hey, where could we have found that? $2 million buffer. Where could we have gotten that? Well, I mean, one of the main places, I like Jan Ruda. I think he brings an edge that the Pittsburgh Penguins kind of need on the back end. And I understand why they went after him as a player. But for $2.75 million of Jan Ruda, are you really getting that much of an upgrade over an $800,000 Chad Ruweedle? This season, I'm going to say yes. I'm going to no. say yes this season because Chad Ruweedle has not been the same player this year. That He's being been said, put in different it, situations. Yeah, in most other seasons, though, yeah, absolutely. You're, it's not, he's not that much of an improvement. But this season, I'd say Jan Ruda has vastly outplayed. That this is just my opinion. Like I said, I'm, mm-hmm. this is kind of what I've seen and what uh, what I thought the vibe was with the the team mm-hmm. that you are definitely getting more out of Jan Ruda than you are Chad Ruedel this year, who also worked his way into a new contract this past off season, right? Yeah. So <laughs> there's that's a big old part of it. Yeah, but is he two million dollars better? Like, are you getting that much more consistency and better play out, out, of, out of Jan Ruda? I would say no. Th- then if you had the Ruidl you had last year, which if he would have started the entire season, I think that's what you would be getting. And not, you know, we, we always praise Ruidl for being able to come in and step in in any situation and play as if he's been playing the entire time. How are we going to dog him for, for not being able to do that to the level he's been normally doing it at? So I, I get where you're coming from, but I just feel like there's so many places that he could have said, and to say the two guys that really took like less money to stay in Pittsburgh, Malkin's over a point per game. Latang has been better since coming back from this latest injury and is, of course, your best defenseman um, when he's he's clicking on all cylinders, pay, getting paid less than he should be. Like, I looked at that and I was like, Ron, what? Like, I get you don't like talking to the media and, you know, this might be why because <laughs> we're literally nitpicking everything he said for the past 20 minutes, but like, you're the general manager of a team. That's that's why why bring it up. But you know, I we should move on because I'm saying I'm, it's not bothering me, and I keep talking about it, and I'm like, Ugh. the distaste that I have for that answer is is unbelievable. But Listen, the, um, it, it, last it, thoughts from you? Yeah, the press conference as a whole did not provide anything. Too many things that were solid. We got you know that he thinks the bottom six needs improved. We all think that. I'm, if I Go through my recordings. I'm sure we could find a, find something of Sullivan saying that a couple on a couple of different occasions. Um, I would say, however, my biggest takeaway is the fact that he agrees with us all, and that he said it was the very first question. This team hasn't been consistent this year. You could tie it back to the goalies as well. Mm-hmm. Um, this team needs to pick up its consistency level and um, find ways to win. Like he said, this team is good on paper. It is. Like I said, you look at the names and you go, that is a playoff team. Jeff Carter has a possibility of making the Hall of Fame one day. Sorry to say that after this season, but he does. Um, that that guy is your third-line center. 
most years you're going to go, that's a hell of a third line center. You know, on the wing with Kasperi Kapanen and Brock McGinn, speed guy and eh, a Brock McGinn type. Teddy Bluger's got that great defensive standout ability on offense. Ryan Paling has shown himself to really be something this year, even though looking at it on paper, he might be the most who's that guy kind of name. You know, whenever we play teams and someone scores against us and we go, who's that guy? The Penguins don't really have a lot of that this year. They don't. And maybe, I mean, maybe that's just because we watch this team over and over again. But all 20-some players on this team, you go, those are names. Those are names. So on paper, this team has the ability to be something. It is about now getting it to click. That hasn't been happening. So it's a matter of now making the proper adjustments, especially yep. if no one's going to start clicking. So mm-hmm. I do agree with Hextall when he says, you know, when I look at this team on paper, I like it. I do too when I look at this team on paper. I do too. There's names there that can all do something and have done something in this league before. Now it's got to click. Mm-hmm. Now they got to wake up. So am I still calling for a trade? Oh, yes, yes. please, for the love of God. Um, but maybe it just takes a minute. Maybe things oh. click. I don't know. I, it needs to happen, though. It needs to happen. It needs to happen soon. And something's got to wake up. Yeah, good old Ronnie Textall needs to get on that BlackBerry from NHL 13. And uh, make a move, Ronnie, make a move. But we're going to take a quick break. When we return, we'll uh, catch you up on everything that happened to Penguins practice, injury updates, switching lines, and everything else. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. The Penguins as a team took the ice yesterday for the first time in a little over a week at practice at 4 p.m. Uh, up in Cranberry. A nice, gave you some time, Horwat. They said, you know what, take your time getting over here from the south side. Uh, south Hills, not south side, but uh, over to regardless. Over Robinson. <laughs> south Hills. It's more west, but whatever i digress on the point uh but the big news obviously everybody wants to know the injury updates out of break josh archibald and kasperi kapanen practiced in full contact according to head coach mike sullivan both will be game time decisions tomorrow against colorado avalanche you can expect them to probably considering they were both in line rushes um, most likely make their return to the pittsburgh penguins lineup tomorrow evening against the defending stanley cup champions we'll talk about them in a bit uh jan ruda skated before practice with ty hennis he is eligible to return February 14th, uh, Valentine's Day on Tuesday of next week against the San Jose Sharks. Uh, we'll see if he ends up being available, meaning if he travels with the team, I would expect if he's practicing with Ty Hennis that he will be traveling with the team when they go out to Western California. Uh, and Tristan Jari, of course, the big one, skated with Ty Hennis before practice as well and is still considered day-to-day, so that's positive news can compared to what people are expecting from Tristan Jari. Uh, but positive news on the Tristan Jari front is that it seems like his return uh, should be sometime here in the next couple of weeks. Yeah, it really should be. You'd hope so. Day-to-day, I mean, we thought he would come back right away because that's kind of what the announcement led us to believe, right? The, uh, hey, we're going to put him on the shelf until following the All-Star break. Hey, the All-Star break's over, and, uh, well, he's still not back, but he's skating, skating yeah. with... Hennis and Kyoto. Um, 
the day-to-day label helps. Uh, it's just a matter of now getting back with the team and doing this all over again. Does he travel out west? Man, I hope so, because out west has not been kind to the Penguins over these past few seasons. And we could use every bit of help we could get. Yeah, yeah, the Penguins certainly are a much better team with Tristan Jari between the pipes. Um, and even for Casey DeSmith's sanity, um, he's better when he's only backing up Tristan Jari. I'm mean, not actually saying when he's sitting on the bench and opening the door for the defense. I'm, I'm talking about when he just comes in one out of every five games instead of starting four of the five uh, and having Dustin Tokarski to back him up. So I thought it was good news all around. The day-to-day tag, we've seen it this year. It's kind of bit the Penguins in the butt. Uh, Petrie was the most notable one where he was day-to-day. Then he was on the LTIR because it got worse. But I think when we're at this stage where he's already missed 16 days, 15 days, and you're still day-to-day, you're in a good situation with Tristan Jari. But the other thing to note, and I'll bring it up here for those that are watching us on YouTube at Inside the Penguins, the line rushes were a little different on on Sunday. They switched things up upon return from the All-Star break. The first thing, of course, that you notice is the top six is rearranged again to the better version, in my opinion. I'll let you give yours, but Raquel up with Crosby and Gensel. Rust goes down to Malkin and Zucker. Uh, My opinion of the top six is, uh, yes, this is the better version, but it honestly doesn't make that much of a difference, I think, anymore. I think the time for all the crying over it is over just because... It makes no difference. Raquel's going to bring the productivity no matter where he is, and it's just a matter of Brian Russ picking up his end no matter where he is. We know Crosby's going to produce. We know Malkin, this season specifically, is really going to produce. Uh, As much as Zucker produces, I feel like he also goes on quiet stretches that we don't realize. I think he's in one right now, if I was able to pull the numbers up quickly. Uh, And Gensel's having a down year in... (laughs) in our eyes but it's still somehow a down year on pace for 35 goals still but like that's exactly but but i think that's we expect more from yeah like like zucker hasn't gotten a point in four games you know he goes through weird quiet stretches that nobody notices because he's also just throwing the body around and Mm -hmm. still getting all the shots and creating opportunities um so somehow the weak link here is brian russ but it's a matter of him picking it up and i think he can do that from wherever he is uh, if you really want to bolster his bottom six, he's the one to move down there. But that's a discussion for another day. Yeah, the question for that then becomes who in God's green earth yeah. is moving into that top six alongside of Genny Malkin. Uh, Kapanen is probably the first name that comes to mind for both of us. But uh, It's whoever you, know, you trade for at the deadline. That's who it is. Yeah, there it is. There it is. Whoever you trade for at the deadline, whoever's hammering above me, I, I swear I might strangle them out. <laughs> I'm not sure if you're hearing it on that side. Uh, but... Honestly, you know, I I do think that it's the better of the two configurations, but clearly your top six has been very productive regardless. So, uh, yeah, not much to take on that. I think Raquel with Crosby and Gensel is obviously the better line, and Russ with Malkin and Zucker, statistically, moneypuck.com, expected goals. Some people don't like that stat. I think it's a very good stat when you look at how these guys are playing, and that line together produces a lot of opportunities and produces a lot of expected goals while not allowing as much. Um, Second in the NHL um, over the entire season among teams or lines that have played over 150 minutes. Stonks on the rise with these, with this top, with this bottom top six configuration. Mm -hmm. And I also discussed that in, as it pertains to just Brian Rust as a whole um, and his season, you know, I, I was 
fully ready on Penguins to go last week to, to bash Brian Rust, but I looked at his numbers and I'm like, man, the only thing that's really hurting him is his shooting percentage. If he was able to get that up, we would just be looking at it as another ho-hum Brian Rust season. So uh, got to start lighting the lamp more rusty, and then uh, then we'll be all A-OK with you. But let's talk about the bottom six, because clearly uh, the biggest topic of conversation. Brock McGinn, Jeff Carter, Kasperi Kapanen reunited as the third line with Kapanen coming back from injury. What are your thoughts on this? Because I have many. Did we expect anything less? I guess not really. Yeah. Not I, really. I don't know what else we could have expected. I mean, maybe a trade to have been made by now to help maybe bump Brian rust in that position. Maybe have some other maneuvering. I don't know what else we expected. I really don't. Maybe drew O'Connor to stay in somewhere, but I mean, to be fair, who are you taking out to be to be completely honest? Who is Mike Sullivan? Cause he's the one constructing this lineup. Who is yeah. Mike Sullivan taking out of this lineup for drew O'Connor? <sighs> That's an important, important little asterisk that you put there because I would have said, yep, Teddy Bluger. Yeah, no. For I've a couple s- games, Teddy Bluger. Yeah, me too. But guess what? It's not us making the decision. It's yep. who is Mike Sullivan taking out of this lineup for Drew O'Connor? You're right. Yeah, maybe Teddy Bluger. Maybe even Brock McGinn. I don't know. Everyone, mm-hmm. No one is safe from the doghouse. We've seen that before. But mm-hmm. now it seems everyone except for, for everyone except for Kapanen and Heinen are safe from the doghouse. That being said, maybe Kapanen, you know, getting a scratch, except he's coming back from injury. You have to see what you have in him. So there's mm. your thing. You got to yeah. give him his playing time because he's coming back. And then, man, if he sucks again, doghouse. Well, here's the thing with Kapanen. I'm glad you brought him up. I'm at the point where with Kapanen, we've been up and down with this man for the past two years. I'm at the point with Kasperi Kapanen. I want to see what he is because I'm not sure anymore. Like it's gotten cloudy because his injury and the way that he was being used before his injury have made it kind of cloudy because he got that, that stretch of healthy scratches in November, December. He came back, he exploded with goal scoring. Then he kind of faded back and then he started just playing productive hockey, getting a goal here and there. Winter classic scores a lone goal getting some assists, playing a little bit better, getting his expected goals and his underlyings up, and you're saying, okay, but he's still only playing like eight minutes a night, nine minutes a night, because the coaching staff didn't know what to do with him. They're like, I don't know if I can trust this. I don't know if this can work in 15 minutes of time, which is what you're hoping that a third liner plays between 13 and 15, in my opinion. And then he gets injured. So it's made it very cloudy as the what kind of player Kasperi Kapanen is on this team now. And I want to see what it is. So I want to see him get more time. But you look at the rest of his line. Carter moving back to center. Same thing that you mentioned with Drew O'Connor. Who else is a third line center on this team? Nobody. Like, Carter might not be. But Bluger there didn't work. Paling is not that guy. I just don't know who is. Like, maybe... Once Poulan returns to the organization, he might be able to bump out and get an opportunity there as well, but it's not an option right now. Like, that's not where they're at. On the roster right now, the guys at the NHL level, the guys that were on practice on practice facility ice yesterday, it's the only guy there. It's a bad situation to be in, but that's the only guy there. I want to see more from Kapanen, but this third line as a whole just, yeah, it's hard it could be good, but we've, you know, history has told us this season that it won't be good. 
Don't make me say on paper again, because like I said, Jeff Carter. <laughs> on paper. That possibility is <clears throat> of his uh, future Hall of Fame induction is still there. You can close both, that. Yeah, on paper. It looks great. Both me and you love the paper. I, yeah, I, I take notes on paper all the time. Brock again. we saw what he, he, he went on a little scoring stretch this year. He did. You know, hey, you know, he's got a Game 7 overtime winner. His name is cemented in places. Guess Mary Kapanen has got speed and skill. This third line can be something, but it's not anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, and, yeah, we just always expect more from Kapanen. I mean, there, were the, there was that stretch there where he had, in three games, 720 of ice, 843, 721. Yeah. He had three points in that time. Yeah. I, mean, I don't I like cloudy cloudy perfect way to say it. my my vision is cloudy when it comes to looking at Kasperi Kapanen yeah he's been over 10 a game every game since then and only recorded one assist so maybe that's what you are getting mm-hmm. but yeah this it's yeah again it's it's like watching it Kasperi Kapanen's like watching the all-star uh, contest right skills competition right now Ugh, what are we getting here it's got the potential we know it has the potential to be something cool and fun it's just not showing up. Mm-hmm. Wow, was doesn't that doesn't that analogy work perfectly? Yeah, I, I, patting yourself on the back there. I love it. Yeah, you know that was that was perfect. You know, a little callback to the first segment. Which, if you missed that, go back and check it out. We talked about the All Star Game, or at least the uh, the shell of what is an All Star Game now. But um, the last thing we could talk about. Paling, Bluger, Archibald is the fourth line. We've seen it a lot this season. Uh, Archie getting back healthy. We saw Ron Hextall loves Josh Archibald um, in the bottom six. Um, I'm excited to see Archibald back. Paling has been better, in my opinion, um, as the season has gone along. And Bluger returning to the fourth line is a good thing. Um, He was not able to handle third line minutes. It just didn't look good. There were times when he was on the third line as the center that the fourth line was getting more more minutes. So you're looking at it as basically being deployed as a fourth line. You just you know, I would like to see DOC get some more opportunity, but oh well. I mean, at the same time, they need reinforcements. DOC I think is part of that. Uh, but I'm not going to sit here and stand on a soapbox about O'Connor playing over Bluger, even though I think it should happen. I think it's not that much of an upgrade. I'm not saying, listen, you're crazy if you don't do it, but in the instance that they're at right now, that's where I like it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, that's that's the forward lineup. The defense stayed the, the way it was. O'Connor and Friedman were rotating in as the uh, last pairing of defense, basically the two healthy scratches, which you can expect tomorrow in case one of Archibald or Kapanen. It's not prepared to go, in which case DOC will draw back in. But those are the line changes. Again, some of it's just, most of it is actually reverting back to what we saw from the Pittsburgh Penguins forward lines a little while ago. Probably in December, we had these guys as the actual line grouping. So we'll see what happens with that. Obviously, they have a game tomorrow. We'll get more updates in the morning skate. But we're going to take a quick break here, and we're going to give our expectations of this team starting tomorrow against the Avalanche and going forward out into the California road trip. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Tip of the Iceberg podcast, brought to you as always by InsideThePenguins.com. No pens pulled this week just because we had a lot to get to considering we were coming out of the All-Star break. We'll be back with that next Monday. Uh, keep an eye out for that on Sunday 
Super Sunday, of course. We're both excited for the Super Bowl. At least I know I am. I think it's going to be a great game. Uh, but this team, out of break, this is another chance for them to reset. You heard it probably too many times yesterday at UPMC Lemieux Complex from everybody saying, yeah, hey, this is a nice reset. You saw a lot of mentions of it. Sullivan apparently addressed the team before the practice with it. The question that I have is, is it going to be better than the last time you had a reset? Because the last reset in the NHL calendar is the Christmas break. They came out of that one 0-4-1 in their first five games back. You can't do that right now. You can't do that. And uh, you're hoping that they come out of the gate hot against the defending cup champs. Yeah, that reset was the start of the downfall. Yeah. It was the start of the downfall. Coming out of that reset, you could even spread it literally up until now. Uh, let me do that. Uh, because since coming back from that break, since that New York Islanders game, they are 5-7-4. and four. Oof. There you go. <laughs> it's true. Yes. It. How, how about we use this one as the actual reset? Because here's the thing. We went into that break doing very well. We were a very good team going into that reset. We didn't need the reset at that point. Um, I mean, if I can quickly pull those numbers up because I, I can't. Uh, we were, but we were flying into it pretty well. There was that long winning streak that had just ended before we got into there. Um, we looked like a very good, substantial team heading into the Christmas break, and coming out of it was just tough. And that's what we are still in. It's a matter of turning that around. Yeah, nine two and one, nine two and one heading into it. Uh, and actually, that goes back further because I just hit a random game. There was a bunch of wins before then, so. Yeah, we were coming into that into the first reset, which we didn't need. Now, yeah. truly needed the reset, needed a little vacation, needed the the beach getaways, the I think ski I lived, getaways for Gino. I was just about to say, I just read Malkin went up north to ski. That's fun, um, and we just needed everyone to kind of return to Pittsburgh a little healthier, which we got with Captain and Archibald. We're gonna get with Jari eventually. Jan Ruda eventually, and we'll have a healthy lineup again, and this team can roll in all cylinders. Mm. Um, I don't. So yeah, this is the true reset. It is the true reset, and they're going to get tested right outside of that reset. I mean, you got the Colorado Avalanche, but it goes beyond that. You mentioned earlier, Penn's struggle historically on the Cali road trip. I meant to look up some numbers on that. I'll I'll do that and get it out on Twitter uh, how they've done basically since the the, the Cup championships, but I. I don't remember them doing too well. Uh, the one that stands out is the one that right before the COVID shutdown where those three teams were bad teams and the Pittsburgh Penguins went out there and got nothing. Literal nothing. Stamped by a loss to the San Jose Sharks. I believe it was 5 to, five nil. Uh, they, they didn't show up in that game at SAP Center at all. Uh, so they're going to have that road trip where you would expect two of the three games, Anaheim, San Jose, but they just played those teams they had to go to a shootout or over overtime against Anaheim, and we know what happened against San Jose the last game before break. So they're going to do that on the road coming up here next week, and then when they return, it's not like it gets any easier. Three games in four days, Islanders, Devils, Islanders. You want a playoff spot? You're going to have to earn it. They have a lot of games left against Metropolitan Division teams, against teams that are going to be battling for playoff positioning. It's going to be, I think they said yesterday, 33 games in 66 days to end the season. It's a tough stretch. You're going to have to go out there, and you're going to have to earn your spot in the Stanley Cup playoffs. And considering where the Penguins are at right now, they cannot afford to come out of this break 
on a down note. As far as expectations, I'll give mine. You give yours. We go away. Uh, you gotta, you gotta play hard without Jari. You know, I understand that if he's not back, however long he's not back, it's hard to win games with Casey to Smith, coin flip Casey showing up sometimes as a league minimum goaltender, sometimes showing up as what he is, which is a, a backup goaltender that can win you a game or steal you a game once in a while. But if you lose just because it's to Smith and net, it is what it is. Like, I can't fault the entire team for losing because Casey DeSmith is dealing with a workload that he's not accustomed to. But you can't lose because of the guys who are supposed to be there. You can't lose because of that bottom six. Carter, Kapanen, McGinn, Bluger. That can't be the reason you're losing games. The defense cannot do what it did against San Jose, giving up four opportunities right in the blue paint. You can't do that. If you lose because of that, you're trending downward, and I will blame you. But if you lose because Casey DeSmith can't hold down the fort because, again, he's not accustomed to this workload, I'm not going to get on the team as much and be as down on the team because you do know that Tristan Jari will be back eventually. Yeah. Yeah, it's... Casey DeSmith has to show up a little more, I think. Yeah, that's... <laughs> Coming out of this reset... Um... I expect more from everyone, really. Bottom yeah. six, specifically. Casey DeSmith has more to show. He seems to be looking to build on some momentum as, again, temporary starter. <clears throat> uh, top six is fine, but you still want to see a little bit more from them because it's just what you expect, right? Mm-hmm. You expect everyone to kind of bring their A game down the stretch, especially in a team who is fighting tooth and nail for that playoff spot. There's a lot of games coming up, a lot of opportunity to... Um, reach year 17 which is far more important this year than any other it feels because it's closer to ending than almost ever before um, I expect I, you just expect turnarounds from players hopefully you expect mm-hmm. there to be a little push in the bottom six with this time off mm-hmm. you do expect there to be because the Penguins are historically a good team down the run somehow <laughs> I mean we've 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 had discussions over the years of man they had a damn near perfect March they had a pretty good February you're gonna need that you're going to need that again you're gonna need that trend to continue at least the trend of a very good March leading into probably a mediocre April even though it's four games they still usually suck in April somehow yeah uh, but yeah you're going to need that good uh, ramp up in February and then all cylinders in March to solidify that you can do this in this league still, that you can become a, uh, a playoff team. And if we skate in on the wild card, so be it. I mean, you make it to the dance. Yeah. At this point, the expectations at this point right now, the expectations are not super high. This, this team can make the playoffs. You get a healthy Jari. That's you're at least going to be in the dance. Don't know where in the dance, but you're at least going to be there because, you know, a, a, a good top six and a solid goaltender and just a couple of tweaks on defense. The defense doesn't need that many changes, just needs a couple of tweaks. Um, that can that That's a playoff team. That's a playoff team. It doesn't go far, but it gets you there. And, you know, anything is possible once you get there, mm-hmm. right? Yeah. So, you know. We get if uh, I'm not gonna say I expect a healthy Tristan Jari, but damn it, I expect a healthy Tristan, a healthy Tristan Jari, and then 
from there, it's a matter of maintaining consistency. Like Ron Hextall said yesterday, this team is inconsistent. These goalies are inconsistent. Like, like Mike Sullivan said before the break, there's a lot of volatility in this lineup. It's a matter of straightening all that out, ironing out the kinks, and flying forward into February, March, and April. And then, mm-hmm. hopefully, you have a little more hockey to play. Hopefully. I'm not ready for baseball season. I mean, I'm ready for baseball season this year, but I'm not ready for baseball season by itself. That's by where I'm itself. at. Uh, by itself. I'm, that's where I'm at. Yeah, I'm not ready for uh, summer, really. <laughs> yeah, summer summer hockey style. I am very much ready to not be sitting in 17-degree weather right now. But uh, I'll leave everybody with this. Ten years ago, 2013, the Pittsburgh Penguins went near perfect. If I'm remembering correctly, off the top of my head, they did go perfect in the month of March. Everybody loves the March of the Penguins. A decade ago, they did a phenomenal job marching through that, that month in the shortened season, which led to a run to the Eastern Conference Finals. What was a big part of that year? The general manager looked at the team and said, we need help. Brendan Morrow, Jerome Ginla. Let's let's run it back like that. Get the team some help, Ronnie. We talked about Ron Hextall a lot. Get the team some help. Go on a run in March and let all the national outlets, TNT, ESPN, AT&T Sportsnet in Pittsburgh, shout out Steve Mears, friend of the show, run with the March of the Penguins narrative. It's what we all want to see. It's what we all want to see. But that's going to do it for this episode of the Tip of the Iceberg. Good to have Penguins hockey back this week. Defending Stanley Cup champions in town. Make sure to get some tickets. I want to see PPG Paints Arena packed out tomorrow. I know we won't. Uh, but uh, love to see it um, because it's McKinnon versus Crosby. And you don't know how many times you're going to get to see that because, in my opinion, the NHL calendar needs to switch. But that's a different conversation for a different day. We will have it at some point, but not right now. Uh, see you guys next time. Have a great day, Pens fans.